Hi, my name is Jordan, and this is my church. Today, I'll be reading from Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Well, good morning and welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so glad you're here with us this weekend, whether you're here in the West service or over in the East service or watching online. Thanks for spending some time with us this weekend. So many amazing things going on right now at our church. One of the things that we've been telling you about that we're most excited about is that this fall we are launching a Thursday night service on September 14th. We're really excited about this. First, let me say this. We have an incredible staff team here at Christ Community Chapel. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't dream this way. We wouldn't be able to do the things that we're dreaming about. So incredibly grateful for them. And we really are working towards this because we believe there are people and families who right now, even if they wanted to, could not hear about Jesus on the weekend. We're thinking of people who work in the medical field, people who work in the service industry, families with children in youth sports. Uh, let me give you an example. I, I met a guy a couple months ago at an event who told me that he coached his sons in AAU basketball, travel basketball, not a, a family from a Christian background, not uh, affiliated with any church. And he said this to me. He said, from November of 22 to February of this year, just on the weekends, he coached 44 basketball games. Okay, that is half an NBA season in four months on the weekends. If that guy wakes up one morning and decides, you know what, I need to get my family in church. We need to hear about God. He can't on the weekend. And that's why we're excited about offering him and his family an opportunity where he can. But not only do we have a great staff team, you are, believe it or not, you are are one of our greatest resources. And so I'm asking you to consider volunteering on Thursday night. I, I don't know what your schedule looks like, but if you can give an hour, hour and a half to greet that man and his family at the door, to make sure that his kids are hearing the gospel in an age-appropriate way, to serve in a myriad of ways here at the church. I know sometimes you come on a weekend and you think, man, this is such a well-run machine. They don't need me. Well, first of all, we do. But second of all, Thursday night doesn't exist. So we definitely need you on Thursday night. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home today. I want you to pray about it. And when God tells you yes, because I'm sure he will, <laughs> I want you to go over to the next steps area and say, hey, here's what I have to give on Thursday night. Here's how many Thursday nights I can give. Where do you need me? Again, not so that a service can be accomplished but so that doctors, nurses, waiters, waitresses, bartenders, mom, dad, kids can hear about Jesus on Thursday night. Thanks so much for considering it and being a part of it. 
I'm also excited to continue our sermon series going through the Psalms this summer. So if you have a Bible, would you open it to Psalm 121? Psalm 121. You take out your phone or your tablet. If you're online, pull up that web browser, get to Psalm 121. By the way, if you're here this weekend and you do not have a Bible, don't know your way around the Bible, first of all, I'm so glad that you're here. Never want you to feel left out. Never want you to feel like you don't know what we're doing. So we make Bibles available to you on the front of the pew in front of you or in the back of the room in our East service. And uh, I use that Bible. That's so that I can tell you that today's reading is on page 484. So all you got to do is get to page 484 and you can be reading along with us. We've been spending this summer looking at the Psalms, learning how, I hope, to pray our hearts to God, to go to God with who we actually are and how we actually feel and learning then that when we do that, we are able to receive his love, knowing that he loves the real us, all of our real emotions in a full way. I hope this summer has been helpful for you. And we're going to talk this morning about praying our need, how to go to God in times of need. And to do that, let me hold out an outline I'm going to use, three points to help us make sense of Psalm 121. Very simple. I want to show you our reality, our fear, and our confidence. Our reality, our fear, and our confidence. Let's start first with our reality. I don't know uh, how you respond when you hear this, but are you, do you like the good news or the bad news first? You know, my wife has been playing this game with me this week a lot. We've had a lot of projects going on at the house. Not all of them are going the way we planned on them going. So she's, I've answered the phone quite a few times this week and she said, good news or bad news? The good news is the thing that I needed to get done is still happening. The bad news is it's going to cost me a lot more money, okay? I don't know which you like first, but let me give you the good news first. This is a really wonderful psalm full of really great things for you to hear this morning. That's great. You knew that when we read it. Oh, that's nice. Some of the psalms we've read have been doozies, right? You get about three verses into them and you go, I'm not going to like this sermon. And that's just me and I was preaching it, so, right? So this is a really wonderful psalm. Here's the bad news. It's only good news for needy people. This psalm has a lot of really wonderful things to say. They only apply to needy people. They only apply to people who say, I need help. You can see that from the very beginning. Look at the very first verse he says. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? This is a psalm for people looking for help. This is guiding us on where to go when we need help. But here's the thing. If there's one thing we don't like being called, it's needy. It's needy. I wonder if I gave you a hundred adjectives to describe yourself, if you would, even with a hundred, if you would ever land on needy. Helpless, probably not. In fact, if you said to me, Zach, I would really like for you to meet my friend Steve. And I said, oh, tell me about your friend. And he said, well, Steve is a really needy guy. <laughs> okay, I wouldn't want to meet Steve. I would do it. I'm occupationally required to smile, but I wouldn't 
want to, right? I wouldn't want to. It's not a nice thing to say. We don't want to be called needy. But here's the thing. If you're not needy, you can't have any of the wonderful things in Psalm 121. See, the Bible tells us that we are all needy, that we are all helpless. The Bible is a full frontal assault on self-sufficiency. In fact, if you read the Bible, what it will tell you is self-sufficiency is a myth. It's a myth based on circumstance and resource. Here's what I mean. It is possible to live life for a certain period of time and simply not encounter any circumstances that you can't handle. That doesn't mean you're not needy. It means you're lucky. Thank you. It means, uh, that guy gets it. Uh, it means you're in a season where things are going so well that you just feel self-sufficient, but all you need is a change in circumstance. It's, it's possible that you amass enough resources for yourself that when a problem arises, you can pay to take care of it. So when my wife called me this week and she said, uh, the garage door no longer works. I didn't say, from where does my help come? Because I knew it was going to come from my savings account. That's where it was going to come from. I didn't feel needy because my resources were up to that task. But what the Bible says is you have to understand that all it takes is a change in circumstance. All it takes is a problem too big for your resources, and that is inevitable. All it takes is the diagnosis that the doctors can't treat, let alone you handle. All it takes is for your spouse to say they're leaving. For a rebellious child's rebellion to exceed the parenting knowledge you've amassed. For the market to take a turn. For your company to redirect. There are a number of circumstances that you will, not, not you might, but that you will find yourself in where you will be in that moment helpless, needy, incapable of being self-sufficient. And the Bible reminds us that even if we can't envision that, even if we're just, we have the Midas touch and everything we touch turns to gold, even then we all will face death. And since you've never died before, you couldn't possibly know if your resources are up to that circumstance. And listen, I'm no better. When I have ended various times of school, I have this same reoccurring nightmare. I don't know if you've ever had this. Maybe if you go to school long enough, you're destined to have this nightmare. And the nightmare is that, that at, at some point I realize I was signed up for a class that I have never been to. And we're six weeks into the semester, and I realize I am going to fail whatever this class is. And you know what's funny? It is not failing that is a nightmare. I've done that. Thanks a lot, organic chemistry. Okay, it is not failure. And you can drop a class, you can add a class. Do you know the part that is the nightmare? It's having to run to the professor and say to her, I'm in your class, but I've never been. Can you please help me out? That's what I've realized. For me, the nightmare scenario is having to go to her and say, I'm needy. That's how we are. But neediness, helplessness is our reality. 
not only financially, not only logistically, not only physically, but the Bible tells us spiritually. We are needy people. Why does that bother us so much? Well, it's not just pride. Let me show you. Here's my second point. Not just our reality, but our fear. Not just our reality, but our fear. It's not just pride. And if you don't go past pride, you'll miss Psalm 121 because it's not only pride that keeps us from wanting to be needy. You know what it is? It's fear. It's insecurity because you never know how someone really feels about you until you go to them in a time of neediness. Until you say to them, I can't do this. Can you come through for me? And then all the nice things that they've said to you in the past are meaningless or meaningful based on how they react. As the old adage goes, you never know how many friends you have until you're moving. <laughs> By the way, why is it that everyone moves at 6.30 in the morning on a Saturday? You're already ruining our day. At least let us sleep a little, right? Because when you send that text message, hey, buddies, I'm moving, you find out who your buddies really are. But listen, here's the, here's the truth. That applies to God as well. We know that if we go to God in our neediness, if we go to God in our helplessness, we are going to have to reckon with how he actually feels about us. And that terrifies us. Pride is easy. Insecurity is hard. In fact, I think the psalmist points us to three different fears that tend to keep us from to going to God with our need. Three fears, and they go like this. Here's the first fear. Is God willing to help me? Is God willing to help me? What I mean by this is, does God care about me? When I get that diagnosis, when my marriage is crumbling, when I, that child who's rebellious I, I can't seem to get through to, when the market takes a turn, if I go to God with that, I'm going to have to believe that he cares about me. Because after all, if he doesn't care about me, if he doesn't know my name, if he doesn't love me, then why in the world would I ever go to him? You see, the psalmist is saying, if we do want to do more than just throwing up a prayer, hey God, if you're out there, I mean, God, I'm talking to my financial planner and I'm reading a parenting book, and, but I thought I'd also throw you a bone. If we really want to go to God in our need, if we really want to depend on God, because after all, in Psalm 121, he says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord. He doesn't say some help. A significant part of my help portfolio, he just says my help comes from God. The psalmist says if we're ever going to go to God and say, God, in my time of need, it is you I'm depending on, we would have to believe he loves us, and that's hard particularly with the guilt and shame that we live with, the past histories we've had, the things we know that God knows about. See, one of the reasons that we never run to God in our neediness is because we're not sure that he cares. We're not sure that he loves us. We're not sure that he's predisposed to being kind to us. Here's the second fear. 
The second fear is, is God able to help? It's one thing to say, well, of course God loves you. God loves everybody. Of course God knows who you are. He's God. Of course God is kind. But it's a whole nother thing to say, yeah, but, but does he actually help? I mean, you read the Bible and you hear all these miraculous stories, all these times that God comes through. And let's be honest, that doesn't seem to happen as much today. So you find yourself in a circumstance and you're like, what am I expecting to happen? I mean, does God have a button that he pushes and the diagnosis goes away? The bank account fills up? The marriage gets put back together? The children come and apologize? Like, what am I even asking? What is it that I think God will do? This is silly. You can do things for yourself, but God doesn't do things for you. See, as long as I struggle with the idea that God is able to help me, it won't matter Whether or not I can go to him, I won't go to him. And then here's the third one. And maybe the third one is the biggest one. And that is, even if I think maybe God is willing, and even if I think maybe God is able, what happens if he doesn't help? What happens if I ask him, And he doesn't come through. The truth is, if we were to go around the room, we would all have stories like that, right? Stories of time where we did go to God and we did say to him, God, I need your help. Stories of times that we went saying, I know you love me and, I, and you're God and I know you can do it and, and, and I just need you to change her mind, get him to stay, get him to change, come through, change the market, help my company, fill my bank account, help heal this person. I just, one time, God, please. And when he doesn't, how do you make sense of that? If your psalm goes like this, I I lift my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? It didn't. Then how are you supposed to get up and try again? And for some of us, the reason we never go to God in our need is because we're terrified of what we would do or how we would feel or what would happen to our faith if we asked and he didn't come through. And you can know that that's true just by feeling what it feels like in the room right now. But here's the thing. You will never become someone who consistently and confidently and eagerly goes to God in your need until you have answers to these three questions. Is God willing? Is God able? And what do I do if he doesn't help? Without answers to these, you will never, I will never, we will never go to God in our need. By the way, if you're here this weekend and you're not yet a Christian, you you don't come from a religious background, you're here, you're working through where you are, I'm so glad that you're here. You need to understand that the reason why you can come week after week and like some of it, but not buy into it completely, is because until you get answers to these three things, is God willing, is he able, and what happens if he doesn't do it? 
In other words, does God love me? Will he show it? And what happens if he doesn't? Until you get answers to those, you'll never dive in. You'll never dive in. We need somehow to gain confidence to go to God in our time of need. That's my third point, our confidence. Where do we go for confidence? Well, I want you to see, first of all, that the psalmist has it. I know we've only looked at the first two verses, but he has absolute confidence. Look at what he says. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. This is a pilgrimage psalm. It's a psalm that was inspired by someone making a trip to Jerusalem to worship. And the idea here is that what's figuratively being represented is he's on a walk to Jerusalem, which could be dangerous. Animals, thieves, robbers, uh, nature, right? And so he's walking to Jerusalem and he's kind of looking at the hills. Every time he hears an animal sound or hoof beats or the sky looks like a storm is coming and he's kind of walking and he's going, where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. He is utterly confident that he's going to make it to Jerusalem because God has him. In fact, it made me think of this. I read this week about search and rescue teams. I don't know if you know this. I, I did not know this that children are far more likely when they wander off into the wilderness to be found alive than adults. Did you know that? That's crazy. I, to me, that's crazy. Children, you don't think, can fend for themselves? Adults, we've seen action movies. We know what to do, right? But children are far more likely. Do you know why it is? It's because children more readily admit that they're lost. Children wander off into the wilderness and pretty early on realize, oh, I don't know where I am. And because they are conditioned to someone else helping them, that's how they survive, someone comes through for them, what they will do is just sit down or bunker down and say, well, I'm lost, and the best I can hope for is I'll sit here and someone will come and get me. Adults, on the other hand, have a tendency to go, I'm not lost. And even if I am lost, I know how to get out of it. I bet there's some wives who can testify to this. <laughs> and adults will wander deeper into the wilderness and die. It's crazy. That's crazy. The psalmist is utterly confident, but I want you to see that his confidence is not in his self-sufficiency. His confidence is in being like a child. He says, well, I need help again. Who am I going to go to for help? But I want you to see that when he preaches to himself that he can go to God, it's the three questions we just asked that he's answering for himself. Because he knows those are the answers he needs. Like, is God willing? I want you to notice in Psalm 121 that the psalmist always sees God as the one doing the action. Look with me at Psalm 121. Is God willing to help me? Here's what he says. Verse two, my help comes from the Lord. Verse three, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Verse four, he who keeps Israel. Verse five, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade. Verse seven, the Lord will keep you. Verse eight, the Lord will keep. Do you see that? In other words, the writer says, here's how I know God is willing to help me. He doesn't even delegate it. 
As I'm so convinced, the psalmist says, I'm so convinced that God loves me that when I ask him for help, I am literally asking him to do it. This is how much I matter to him. He doesn't say, my help comes from God who sends an angel. My help comes from God who sends a pastor, who sends a, a priest, who sends a prophet, who sends a whatever other word you can think of, it starts with P. He says, God is the one who does the saving. God is the one. God loves me so much, the psalmist says, he will come for me himself. Second thing, he says, is God able? Is God able to help? Look at what he says in verse 1. Or I'm sorry, verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is his resume, the writer says. Why would he be preaching the doctrine of creation to himself? Well, because on his pilgrimage to Jerusalem, he's getting scared. He thinks maybe he heard a thief. Maybe he heard a coyote. Maybe it's going to storm. And he's saying to himself, which is harder, to speak the universe into existence or to save me from a robber? By the way, he says God isn't just willing. He's able in little things and in big things. Look at what he says in verse 5. The Lord is your shade. That's nice. God's able to help me with even little things, like it's really hot on the way to Jerusalem, so the Lord can provide me shade, but then in verse 7, he keeps me from all evil. Whether it's the sun or whether it's Satan, God's got me. He's able. Third thing, what if he doesn't come through? Look at what the writer says. It might be the most beautiful verse in the whole psalm. Look, he says, verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He says, listen, God's love for me, God's willingness for me, God's ability to help me extends into eternity. So even if God doesn't give me the answer I'm looking for now, I know it's not because he's abandoned me. I know it's because he's got something better for me on the road to eternity. The psalmist says, is God willing? Yes, he loves me enough to do it himself. Is he able? Yes, he made the universe. Whether it's shade or evil, he can do it. What if he says no? Well, he's promised to love me forevermore. Somehow he will work it out. That's where his confidence comes from. It's not willy-nilly. It's not uninformed. It's substantive. It's rooted in reality. And I know if you're like me, you're reading it going, well, good for that guy. I'm glad he has that confidence. How could I ever have that kind of confidence in God? And friends, I'm here to tell you, no matter, how you, no matter what you label yourself coming in or what brought you here this morning, your confidence in running to God with this kind of confidence in your time of need comes from Jesus Christ. Psalm 121 is teaching us to have confidence in God that can only come from Jesus. Why? Well, let's start with our questions. Is God willing to help me? The psalmist says, yes, he will do it himself. Well, friends, that's exactly what Jesus' coming is. That God looked into your sinful life and into mine into our broken world, into our impending judgment. And he did not send an angel. He did not send a prophet or a priest. He came himself. That's how much you matter to him. He came 
to be your savior. He came to be your redeemer. He came to be your rescuer. And you see, so if you say, well, God could never love me. I could never be sure of God's love for me because I've done too many things. I've got too much of a past. Or shoot, you might be saying, I'm doing too many things. But here's the thing. God's love for you has already been shown in this, that he came himself to rescue you. And because he's God, by the way, he knew what you would be. So even as you sit here saying, I'm doing too many things, God is saying, yeah, 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 I knew that. I knew that would be true when I came for you myself. Is God able? Well, Jesus proves that, doesn't he? Because he doesn't just come and live and die, but three days later, he rises from the dead. And it's as though Jesus would say to us, if, which is harder, the thing you're asking God to do or to raise the dead? This is God's resume. He made the universe and he brings the dead back to life. Whatever it is you and I are asking him, shade or evil, he is sufficient to the task. You're not just saying, well, in the Bible he did cool things. You're saying, in my time of greatest need, when I faced the wrath and judgment of God in my sin, God did the miraculous for me in Jesus. That's how I know when I go to him now, he is able to provide the help I'm asking. And then third, you say, but Zach, still, what if I ask him and he doesn't come through? That's why it's so important you know that the night he was arrested, Jesus prayed to the Father, if there's any other way, can we do it that way? In Jesus' moment of need, he cried out for help to God. And he was told no. Why? Because God is capricious, because God is uncaring, because God is unwilling, because God is unable. No, he was told no because God was doing something even greater. He was meeting an even greater need. You see, when Jesus dies and then raises and ascends and sits on the throne of heaven, he is giving us a resume, a reputation, a reason to believe that every no from God in our moment of need is because he's doing something even greater to meet an even greater need. Psalm 121 isn't just the psalm of the needy. It's the psalm of the needy who go to God with confidence because of Jesus. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're in a moment of need or you're headed to one. I don't know if you're actively avoiding God in your need or if you're passively avoiding him. But you don't have to avoid him at all. Because Psalm 121 may come with the bad news that you're needy, that I'm helpless. But it comes with the good news that there's a God who is willing and able, whose plan is greater than even the things I'm asking for. And he's proven that to me in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I feel like every week I have to stay up, stand up here and Repeat what the guy in the gospel said. I believe, help my unbelief. Holy Spirit, would you overwhelm us with the love and faithfulness of God the Father shown to us and the life, death, and resurrection of God 
the Son, whether we are hearing this for the first time or the thousandth time, oh, we need it. Would you change us by it? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.